you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Got the All right, I got the VPN turned off so that whatever's been causing occasional stuttering, I'm still experimenting with why that might be, because you and I both have good net connections, and somehow we still get glitches, and so I'm trying yeah. to not be the source of the glitches. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It could be me too. I don't know. It's weird. And it's just this that I get it. Everything else is fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. We've got another guest coming on next week. Very good. John Brenning, who it, I love pulps. We might have talked about this before. When I was growing up, I discovered pulp heroes like The Shadow and Doc Savage and so forth. And what's interesting about them is that they were written in the 30s and 40s. They're some of the oldest heroic fiction in the United States. And they were called pulps because they were printed on really cheap paper that was like not meant to last. So finding those guys, as opposed to comic books, were never on good paper either, but they really were meant to be like disposable. Like many right. of them were collected for the war drives and stuff like that. Yes. So having said that, there's like a pulp um, style, a pulp ethos that goes with them. There are a lot of film noir reads like a pulp. I really love Doc Savage because that's back when the world wasn't fully explored. And so to have this guy traveling the world and discovering hidden civilizations and dinosaurs and stuff like that was really cool. And that's all that is reason for saying John Bruning does modern pulps. He really he writes a character called the Midnight Guardian that, that you and I are both familiar with. We both yes. met him and have had really nice conversations and stuff with him. And it, wow, it finally occurred to us, you know, <laughs> right. that's the geekery yeah. that we like. So. He said, oh man, do I have to iron a shirt? And I said, nah, we don't bother. So don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. I put on a polo today. I actually have a collar. What, wow. what am I Yeah. That is unique. Are you like going out? Is there a funeral <laughs> or a wedding to go to? <laughs> I wore my finest shorts for the funeral. Yes. Oh, exactly. good. <laughs> yeah. It'll be fun talking to him. I, it's weird how some of those things happen that I ran into his partner, Jim, in Flinch Books at Flinch a books, exactly. one of the cryptid conferences that Colin and I went to, and Colin was doing a talk at. And okay. there was a guy there, Jim Beard, that mm -hmm. had X-Files books and some other books. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I come to find out that he wrote one of the stories for a Star Wars comic that I had. Very so I was cool. like, well, I got to give this guy to sign it. He's yeah. from Ohio. So I looked for him and finally found him at another conference and went up, got him to sign it. And I have that. And he has a partner and it turns out his partner lives right here in Cleveland. And I ran into him and they yeah. both go to the Pulp Fest down in Pittsburgh. It's just another one of those yeah. coincidences that just all mish together. And then I went to a thing a while back at the Cuyahoga Library, which they do tons of great author events. Okay. And he was there. And I was just like, oh, hi, John. So Exactly. I first met him because I went to a pulp con, not the one in Pittsburgh, but right at a, a, like a Holiday Inn here in Westlake, if I remember right, and was relatively well attended. But I kept circling back. And every time we had a nice conversation and bought the first of the Midnight Guardian books. And then he actually did a reading in Lakewood. And so I went and got the second. I mean, it was just like every time that I met with him, it was pleasant and I was enjoying the books. And so yes. it, it, much the series, how your Undiscovered Wordsmiths podcast, it's so cool to support the John Burnings and the Ted Sikors and, and the folks in this world that are independent authors and are not struggling, but they sure aren't the Dean Kuntzes of the world. Exactly. And it's very nice to have a chance to give them some publicity, especially because, I don't know, I've We've both read a ton of books. I've read a lot of pulps. And when something stands out as a good one, it's not just a, a an attempt, a knockoff. I really like the, the Wold Newton universe. It's a yes. shared universe where they talk about how pretty much all heroes are actually related genealogically and stuff like that. And there's a difficulty where a lot of people contribute to the various different collections of that. And the quality is uneven. You know what I mean? There's some right. really good ones and there's others that they're not well-written or they don't get what makes those kinds of stories so cool. <laughs> they lack that essence. And so just that, I'm happy to support the great writers that just haven't, maybe because they're writing about pulps. Pulps, if they're 80 years old, 90 years old, they've faded from view. Yes. And yet 
they're they are the source for so much of what came to be hard-boiled detective fiction or Tarzan jungle adventures or science right. detective. Like there, you could probably do a through line for all the CSI shows, all the police procedurals where that's the kind of stuff that was written first Old in Jack. the pulp when they were first figuring out how to use fingerprints, how to use. Yeah. And I, maybe I, some people act as if the world started when they were born and they only want to read current and new and I was always fascinated by their writing books when jet travel was not common. And so the breakthroughs of ultraviolet light or like the, a better machine gun, a better, if you got shot, they had a little like a plastic that you could be like an instant stitching. And only now, kind of like Star Trek, have we caught up with what someone envisioned from right. way back in those various different episodes that we have the ways of being able to see someone's footprints in because they Vaseline shows up on ultraviolet. You know what I mean? Like right. They had all kinds of fun little, what they were just learning then. And like, especially the lost world type stuff. If you had never been in the middle of the Gobi desert, because we didn't have satellites and going into any desert was like, follow the trails to the oases. You don't just go wandering around to map it out. Same with the jungle, same with the deep sea. It was very cool to see what did they speculate about back then and what did they get right? And what were they like? Yeah, no, they didn't know. There was no Xanadu. There was no cannibal tribe. There, or maybe right. there, were, there were exactly those things. So I like the pulps still, even though they seem a little outdated, but they're fun. They're adventurous. They don't take themselves so seriously. And at the time, they weren't meant to be tongue in cheeky, but come across that way now. But it was I've got to get this story out. I have a week to do it, to publish it, and then I'll get paid. And bam, high adventure, quick, fast action most of the time. You know, something Absolutely. interesting that people will want to read, take them out of the... That's what fiction's all about. And as a connection to that, the serials in the movies are a direct descendant of the pulps. And we've got a new Indiana Jones movie coming out, which looks fantastic, which right. is a, a successor to all those serials and pulp fiction. Absolutely. And Steven Spielberg, others have talked exactly about that, that what they were trying to capture in the Indiana Jones movies was those old serials with the little right. the dotted line as the plane flies across and all those conventions and tropes that they're very effective with showing the kind of like the passage of time and how much distance was being traveled and, and all those kinds of things. The What you just said is really important. These things, like nowadays, authors, if they come out with a book a year, they're like prolific. Right. Back then, people wrote a new 128, like whatever that would be, 30,000 word novel every week, every two weeks. Who could maintain that pace? Only the Walter Gibsons of the world who wrote The Shadows. And let's see, Maxwell Grant was his numb de plume, but it was Walter Gibson. And Kenneth Robeson was the numb de plume for Doc Savage, but it was really a guy named Lester Dent. And they wrote hundreds, let's wrote 181 adventures, occasionally with a ghostwriter, but the vast, let's say 90%. So you're still talking about writing, let's see, 90, 100, 160 <laughs> at least. And at that pace to still make them interesting, you know what I mean? It might be that they were a little gimmicky. Hey, there's a new menace. There's a new villain. There's a new place we're going to explore. But they were creative enough that it wasn't, oh, I feel like I read this before. There's nothing new here. It's just a, a different jungle or something. What? He was amazingly prolific and experimental. Very yes. cool, actually. Which is interesting. You say that, too. And forgive me, I forget. It was either Lester Dent or Dashiell Hammett, I believe one of those two, that had, a, like you said, extremely prolific. Here's a story. Here's a story. Here's a story. Here's a story. But they had created what they called the wheel. And it was like the character, the setting, the antagonist, whatever. And then they would just kind of spin the wheel and say, okay, this is today's story. And boop, they would write it out. And right. then- and it was a, very much a template. And I think a lot of people miss that some of our best stories are templates. And when you break that template and you get outside of what people are used to and comfortable with, that's when we don't like the story. That's when we think the movie sucks. The book In a sucks. lot of ways, exactly. It's not the three-act play. It's yes. not the boy beats girl, boy loses girl, boy wins girl in the end. You know, yeah, that kind of it, we've said it how many times? 36 plot lines. That's it. That's all you get. And right. it's how you do it. <laughs> And I will stand on this hill and over that the reason the last Star Wars trilogy sucked is because they forgot that it was an epic hero's journey and they did not do that. And they, people without knowing it are watching it going, this isn't a, it doesn't feel right. It's not a story there. It, go look at any episodes. There are classes 
taught in schools now on writing TV show episodes. Here's your template. Boom, boom. And you laugh because once you catch on to that, it's 10 minutes. Yeah, he did it. Well, how do you know that? He had to. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) There's a certain amount of there's going to be a big reveal. There's going to be some pacing. There's going to be some romance. Exactly. Yeah, it was. I think it must have been Dashiell Hammett that had the wheel because Lester Dent actually had like, a, a template for how he wrote his stories. Yes. And instead of being that they were alike and only a straitjacket, it w- they included, here's the first cliffhanger where the hero gets it in the neck bad. How is he going to recover? I think that's even the phrase that was used. And also I liked, boy, one of the reasons I liked the Doc Savages and the Avengers and others is because it wasn't just him. He had his fabulous five. He had a band of other adventurers that were his assistants. And they all, this was a, this guy was a chemist. This guy was an engineer. This guy was an archaeologist. And they had banded together because they also liked this kind of adventure. But the interaction between them, sometimes the hijinks, like between Ham and Ham Brooks, who was the lawyer, and Monk, Monk Mayfair, who was the chemist, they just gave the comic relief element of the pranks they were playing on each other, or they each had a, a pet that mocked the other's profession, you know, that kind of stuff. So Monk had a pig named Habeas Corpus, that that kind of stuff. It When I used to say, why am I liking these so much? Because, and also, I'm now a man, but I was reading these as a teen, and so much it was, this is just so cool to get together with my pals and go on an adventure with them. And those have stayed with me forever. When I first started to play D&D, and you're building your party, I would be like, this guy should be the magician, and this guy should be the fighter, he's the brawler, and this guy should be the thief, and they were all named after my favorite Doc Savage characters, and that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I carried that set of, I have even have, boy, this is a long time ago, Bantam Books, if I remember correctly, had like the Doc Savage Secret Society, the Brotherhood of Bronze, and you would send in, and you'd get a poster, and you'd get a little card. I carried that card in my wallet. Oh my God, what a geek <laughs> confession. For years and years, and it had the Doc Savage of Oath, where I'll do wrong to no man, I will stand for the right, I will treat women with respect. It was like, honestly, Doc Savage is in many ways the prototype for Superman. He was a superhuman guy who from youth had been trained by his father, maybe a little bit of weirdness, but it wasn't considered weird back then, to just be in every disciplined, knowledgeable, and be a perfect physical specimen. And they talked about that. And in fact, he's also, there's a book called Gladiator by Philip Wiley, if I remember right, that really is the first idea of a superhuman. And is he going to choose good or evil? And the fact that Doc chose good, but like they had any number of times where one of the protagonists that he met was another guy that had trained all his life, kind of like Rocky meeting Ivan Drago or something like that. And so, wow, if you grew up in a different culture, society, had just bad parents, you really could use your powers for evil instead of for good. And so much of where I get my cornball nobility is because don't you want to be like a force for good in the world? Don't you want to be too right by all men if you can? Uh, anyway, I used to just, and the, how I got to know them wasn't because, oh, I found pulps in old bookstores. It's because Bantam started to reissue the stories as paperbacks. And the paperback covers were fantastic. An artist named James Baba, who did photorealistic and what are you know, now called like monotones. But if it wasn't, it was like, if you're going to have something about the Arctic, it's going to all be shades of blue. So it really looks cold. And if you're going to be under in the, the Sargasso Ogre, it's going to be the green of the ocean and of the seaweed that's all around you and stuff like that. And I, I have posters up on my walls of facsimiles of those covers because they bear up today like the image of doc savage from those covers is if anybody knows anything at all about doc savage it it looks like that he was a guy with a widow's peak almost like a skull cap of hair and a torn shirt somehow all the time his shirt was all torn up and he wore jodhpur so he looked like an adventurer you know what i mean that wasn't like that on the old pulp covers he actually just looked like a big good male specimen but they hadn't stylized him into a science adventurer and stuff like that but i just there there's so much to like that i discovered him at just the right time yeah. that and, and another thing that was i bantam was publishing them out of order don't know why they decided to do that but i got to a maybe like by the fifth book in the series and there was a reference to something that i remember what i read and it hadn't happened yet so then i went and did all my research as to well, they're printing them out of order, and you had to. I actually had little stickers 
on the sides of my paperbacks, which probably now has hurt them <laughs> because if he was pulled them off, it'll be bad. But that showed the real order instead of the Bantam published order. And Bantam, those rascals, until number 68, is still in my head. Quest of the Spider, if I remember right. That was the third one published in real life, in the pulps. You had to wait until number 68 to get the adventure that should have been the third one in the series. <laughs> and I could see how they chose them. Like the first ones were Brand of the Werewolf and things that like had a catchier title or something like that. I don't know. Quest of the Spider has a cool title. I don't know why they pushed that one back. I don't think there were anything like, oh, we got to clear the rights because it was all written by Lester Dent. And having said that, it was so much, not only they had a difference in the numbers, sometimes they had changed the title. Yes, like, Repel yes. became the something goblin, the not the squeaking goblin. Anyway, you know what I mean? It was like I, I became quite the Doc Savage expert from having to do the research to figure out why was this done and then what will I have to do when this one finally comes out? Am I really getting and back then? I read them as they came out. I did not wait for the first 67 until 68 finally came out. But luckily I had started when they were like in their fifties and then it, it, I didn't have the frustration of having had to wait years of right. monthly doc savages to finally get to that one. But you could scan the paperback racks and see how eye catching those covers were. Right. And not only do I have, now I have a, a big book, like a celebration of James Bama and it's beautiful, like leaded paper where they look perfect. And he not only did doc savage, he did Western art. He did other kinds of stuff. And they're all, just you can see every sinew in an arm. You can see the look of strain when someone is like roping a bull or something like that. I can't wreck if you like that kind of artwork. I don't know that there's maybe him and Frazetta. Frazetta also did wonderful, distinctive, lurid paperback covers. And back then, that's how oh, this James Bond book is tame on the cover, even though I know the story is going to be good compared to the magnificence of the Frazettas and yes. the Bobas and the Friuses. There were a couple of people that really specialized. Boris Vallejo, Vallejo used to do all kinds who of... did um, Buck Rogers poster when the movie came out. Like that, exactly. Yeah. And just, I, you know, some of the first, as you're growing up, you're like, wow, comic books aren't all the same. You learn to identify artists by their work yeah and like i know wally wood i can pick out a wally wood piece because he has a distinctive style and his women are always like really beautiful and shapely and you know what i mean gil kane always had the heroes always had the up the nose shot somehow There's, when you listen to mozart almost all his pieces seem to have a little it's a bird it's played it's a mozart <laughs> anyway I, boy, I know i'm I, I must be wired i didn't think i had this much <laughs> this is such a joy a, a source of joy to me yeah and not to be weird, it's not something that I get to talk about with most people because they're like, they go fresh in their drinks. Let Al talk right. about silly pulp talks and everything. The movie <laughs> well, came out and it was not as good as it could have been. And so they keep talking about remaking it and various different he-men type stars like Schwarzenegger, The Rock, they've talked about that that's a guy who could play Doc Savage. He really wouldn't have the role. A little bit like when they had Reacher made and it was Tom Cruise. He's like, he's just not physically big enough yeah, you know what i mean the TV he's a great show action hero, but when they always describe him as being like a six six guy and that he just walks into the room and women swoon and men are intimidated that yeah. tom hanks sorry tom cruise plays the cocky young guy he doesn't play the menacing hulk guy you know what yeah. i mean so anyway so that's you, who we're going to be talking to is john Bruning because he loves the pulps <laughs> so do we. yeah that's what we were talking about but you mentioned frazetta and it's funny, too, because <laughs> Colin, for some reason, just got into a Conan mood and ah. went and raided all my comics. So, like, I walk into the hallway and I'm like, uh, I'm like missing a couple long boxes. He's I've got them. <laughs> He's got all my Conan laid out. He's reading everything from Marvel, from Dark Horse, from IDW and just going at it. And there's some new ones out. And. I guess some of it is now public domain, but it has to, there are certain restrictions on it, whatever. But okay. Conan's another great example. And in the day, in the 60s, I think, the stories were picked up by S.M. Sterling. He added to the Conan thing, and I've got those books. He just released a new Conan book. So I'm like, wow. Yeah, I, yeah. First of all, Conan I didn't know he was goes, still around, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Sterling with an I, right? I think I remember. Uh, yes. Exactly. The, I, I, the Conan seems to go in and out of fashion. Like when the Lancer paperbacks came out in the 60s, they sold like hotcakes. Yeah. And then the Marvel comic book came out in the 70s. And very interesting, 
Barry Windsor Smith did the first 24 issues, if I remember correctly, and very uncharacteristic. Conan was always shown as like a big brawler of a guy, but this was young Conan, like young Hillman Conan. So he was a little more lithe and still very menacing, but Windsor Smith doesn't have the muscularity of John Buscema or Dezuniga. There's a couple of artists that are really identified with being great at Conan, like Frank Frazetta, that kind of thing. So it was, and I think Roy Thomas, one of the first things that he did at Marvel, his passion project, he had done a whole bunch of superhero stuff. He was like the heir apparent to Stan Lee, was going to be the next editor, had done Avengers, all that kind of stuff. And then when they said, what do you really want to do? He's I kind of want to revive Conan. And it did well. But then it didn't stay forever. Like I said, things go in and out of fashion. And all of a sudden it was getting more and more science-y and mutant-y and less sword and sorcery a thing but then when they dropped it dark horse picked it up in the late 90s early 2000s and basically took the books and adapted them which seems like everybody does the first and then they had some good stories with good art it was very solid for almost 20 years and then recently marvel got it back but the cool thing is every time it switches to a new company they get the backlog from the old company so they release trades or omnibus so here's all the old stuff from them so you can <laughs> so, catch up exactly yes, exactly yeah, yeah. i'll tell you, i liked we, we, i don't know this is a genre we haven't talked a lot about i really like sword and sorcery growing up it's tied into dnd it's t- but I love the Fafford and the Gray Mauser series by Fritz oh, yeah. Leiber. I think it's Leiber. I don't know. If, is it Leiber or Lieber? I don't know. If I, one of those, I, yeah. I should have heard it said out loud at some point in my fantasy right. science fiction life. But, and in fact, I, those were some of the ones that they weren't, there was only a couple of novels. There was a lot of short stories. And then I got into the idea of there's shared world books. So Robert Asprin had the Thieves World yeah. books. Remember that? And yeah. also, I really like Brand MacMorn. There was other Robert E. Howard things that he experimented with. And another thing, sad thing, Robert E. Howard, the creator of Conan, only made it to like 36 or 32. Yeah. He was yeah. very young when he died. So he did not have the long career that others have had to keep adding to their legend and their legacy, if you will. But he um, had so like each- many characters. Yeah, he was a, one of the first guys that just, instead of, finding a good vein and staying with it he i let's see what's the guy's the solomon kane solomon kane exactly that the puritan that then goes out and defeats evil in the proto united states and stuff like that you know it i love those i love the fact that they all had a reasonable sensibility (laughs) here (laughs) i love where does anybody else notice this Every time that you read a Conan book, somewhere in the book, because he's a brawler and has just had to take on 10 men, the phrase, who dies first, he said, through smashed and bloodied lips, that's in multiple books. That was such a great phrase. (laughs) And Simon Green, who I really like, that writes really good fantasy books, almost always, every one of his books has the phrase, blood flew on the air. Because there's a certain amount of sword play or that right. kind of stuff. And every single destroyer, the start of the second chapter is his name was Remo. And then whatever right. he's doing currently. And I, it's got such a tongue-in-cheek thing that everybody who reads these must identify that. So it's kind of like a little, if you want to know quickly, if someone has read them, you just drop that into conversation. They give you the, 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 right. the, the nod, the knowing sign. I just... I love that they developed that. I don't know. Characters in movies often have little catchphrases, the I'll be backs or whatever else it might be, but it didn't start there. They had cool phraseology all the way back to Superman and Conan and whatever else it might. Anyway. anyway. So you mentioned all these books. There's a newer genre called lit RPG, which is sword and sorcery fantasy, but it's almost, it's taken right from D and D because it has character stats in it. As you're reading, it keeps the character stats as part of the story. That's interesting. So you can see who's running out of hit points and is right. in trouble unless he gets healed or something like that. Right. I have not seen any of those. That's interesting. I know that the, the Dungeons & Dragons movie, The Honor Among Thieves, is apparently a surprise hit. Yes. There's a number of genre knockoffs from video games, from D&D, that just, they came out and the faithful went to them. But in this case, they got enough people, actors, that people really have like faith with they go and see anything that Chris Hemsworth is in or trying to think Zoe Saldana and whoever they gathered for this D&D movie are some of those genre heavyweights and so 
maybe because there also isn't that much competition, whatever reason, that and John Wick are like setting records for stuff that is very representative of those kinds of movies. The Death Wish, they killed my family, my dog, my whatever, and I'm going to get them. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's a fantasy day. We went and saw the D&D movie on Sunday. Okay, what'd you think? Colin had super high hopes and it almost met those for him. Okay. I, it was, if you go to it like, oh, a new Lord of the Rings fantasy type, it is not. Lord of the Rings has definitely got a subdued seriousness about it. Okay. The movies, the books, everything. This is much more tongue in cheek. And, but, and we talked about this on the car ride that one of the problems they always had with superheroes was the higher ups, the people with the money would say, yeah, that's jokey, stupid kid stuff. We'll give you a few dollars and you can make something of it. And they make something bad. And they're like, see, nobody cares about it. until Yeah, somebody... nobody likes those movies. Yeah. And then somebody figured it out. Did Iron Man? It's, oh my God, you can have a good movie that's a superhero and it makes tons of money. So this wasn't quite to that level yet. It's, it was tongue in cheek. It was very high production quality. The story was fun and good. But I didn't leave it going, oh, my God, that was one of the best movies I have ever seen. I, I will definitely watch it again. And I enjoyed it. It had a lot of fan D&D stuff in there. So many creatures, so many things. And to all the people out there that are complaining, a wizard really couldn't cast that many spells in one day and couldn't do that. Oh, my gosh, give it a break. This is the best D&D movie we've ever had. Accept it. The best part for me, I mean, Chris Pine was fantastic. And they did, I'll give away just a little bit. They did an illusion. They were distracting the guards and they illusioned Chris Pine playing mandolin and singing. The guy started losing concentration. So Chris Pine's character, it started warping. And it was like very weird and funny. And it's, oh, I like that. Very good. Yeah. But the best part was they had a cameo by the group from the cartoon. They had the cartoon group in the movie. They're, how did they work? That's very cool. With they, the voices of the people who portrayed those characters and everything? No, or? Well, it was new actors okay. just dressed up like okay. them. They didn't have any speaking roles. It okay. was just a few brief little things here and there. But I guess these same actors did a car commercial in Australia as the D&D characters. But it <laughs> was them. Cool. It was dressed up the same. They had the Eric had his shield and the acrobat and then the, the girl with the purple cloak and yeah. it was the group. And that was so much fun to see. But they had so many cool little monsters just everywhere, little parts. The axe beak uh, chickens, I forget what they're called. They were just herding them like sheep. And uh, yeah. it was just a little thing. So Very it, cool. I love when they throw that. It's not it's not an Easter egg where it's you really might not get it entirely, but it's just such a love of the genre yeah. that if you've got a book called a monster manual that goes into hundreds of different monsters and their various different characteristics and weaknesses and hit points and stuff, it's very cool to say with CGI, we can do anything nowadays. Let's throw them in there too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Phase, phase spiders where they're like, <laughs> all you got to do is hit them and you kill them. But in the meantime, they're impossible to hit. And so you keep on getting envenomed. Anyway, right. so <laughs> the best, the other best part for me was the dragon. So I don't want to give too much away, but okay. you'll love the dragon scene in it because nobody's not. Oh my gosh. Did you, okay. I'm going to jump off that now. The movie's good. Go see it. We'll put a trailer right. in our show notes. I'm probably going to do it as a matinee. Exactly. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> you'll enjoy it. You'll have fun. It is fun to go see. So do you, I, oh my God, I'm, I always mess up his name, Joe Magnoli, Magnoli, something like that. He okay. was one of the werewolves in True Blood, that TV show. He is, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He's one of those big, rugged, good looking guys, right. but he's also a D&D &D nerd and loves D and pushes that. He's done some of the online charity events, playing D and raising money and stuff. You Very know what good. his favorite D&D &D property is? dragon lamps which is See, my that's cool because that's an extensive series of books and if they ever wanted to adopt those they have a whole series ready to go so dragon lance i loved dragon lance more than i liked tolkien when i was growing up and i've read that book probably a dozen times in my life it's just the first wow six books. okay yeah, just fantastic i love them to death <laughs> they did a cartoon animated movie years ago and i got super excited because it had Kiefer sutherland and lucy lawless and all sorts of voice actors but then i found out that okay. 
they did a 90 minute cartoon movie at, and took the whole first trilogy and shoved it into there. And I'm just like, no, there, it, it sucks yeah. so bad. I've never even watched the whole thing, but now okay. Joe, what's his name is an actor with money and some clout. He said, I want the Dragonlance property. I want to do a TV, a miniseries TV show of that's it. And I'm faithful like, faithful through the entire, that's cool. Okay. Yes. So but you, we're just saying with Doc Savage, somebody has to get mm-hmm. it right. This is the guy that is going to get it right with the Power Rings show, the Witcher show, all, and okay. Sandman. Come on, they've learned, hey, people like fantasy. And hey, if we really make it look good and are faithful to the original, People will watch it and we'll make money. That's craziness. Wow. I should have listened to the nerds like 30 freaking years ago. Point is, I'm so hopeful he's going to come out with such a good series. I'm so excited. I just read the first trilogy last year and I'm like, time to read it again. That's fun. It's I hardly ever go back and reread things because there's always so much new stuff, good new stuff coming out. And yet uh, there's also, you don't step into the same river twice. Things have changed. I really want to, I'm thinking about if I was to go back and reread things from my teens, 20s, 30s, what are the things that I really would like to read again? Because I remember them fondly. They seem to be a very high quality. I don't think I'll be disappointed. I think it'll be a different me reading them and therefore I'll have a different experience. Holding on to all those things all these years, it's going to be, wow, this looks like it's brand new because I'm that guy about quality. I hope that I can read it without it being, oh, and now I'm well, going to break the binding. <laughs> well, no, all you got to do is check it out of the library. Or... <laughs> and that's true too. Most of those things are available. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I keep my stored copy and go to the reading copy. Exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. I've done that with, I've got some books, but I've gotten the audio book out of the library. I've read the book already. I want to experience that world again. I'll just listen to the audio book because it's like Top Gun when it comes on TNT. I can do housework while it's playing in the background. I've seen it enough times. It's a background TNT movie now. <laughs> yeah. Have we? So I know if we've talked about this before, boy, these are terribly out of fashion. I really like the Gore books. Oh, yeah. They're a very good heroic adventure series, which unfortunately has like half of the book is men are masters, females are slaves. Yeah. And that there's a whole culture built around that. And they're very distasteful to read. This guy really commits to, if that really was the society, he goes into extensive detail about like what kind of brands they would get and stuff like that. Right. So for everyone listening, of course, I don't want that. Of course, that's not reality. Of course, I don't think and feel that. But what I always seemed to be able to do was separate that crap out and still read the adventure part, the intrigue part, yeah. the male camaraderie part. You know what I mean? That, that, that kind of stuff is still like reading a war novel where when you're under fire, you bond in a different way than if you just work in an office, that kind of thing. And they, he was very good about building the entire culture. So it's not just about the slavery aspects, but it was, here's all the creatures. Here's all the food. Here's all the, the phraseology that they use. It's loosely based on Europe. So, you know, R is the equivalent right. of Rome and all the various different societies, the ones that lives up in the mountains or the seafaring or whatever else it might be. And and so those are some of the things that if I go back and reread them now, are they really like ridiculous because they embrace that so much? Or would I still find that when you're a duel with an assassin that's really skilled at killing people, and yet you're the guy that just doesn't stop, that doesn't give up, that has your own set of skills. And I remember that being such a great epic ending battle. And they're like up on the top of a tower where, you know, a false step and you fall to your death. And just the way he just, boy, there's a great scene where Tarl Cabot, the main warrior of the series, has been poisoned. And he's like, he's his men still respect him and he's still the leader of his town. And yet they've tried everything and they can't seem to cure him. And there's a great scene where the they come and say the love of his life who had left him, she's been captured and she's in danger. And that's what stirs him <laughs> to overcome this poison that's been ravaging his body and go on his this mission of either rescue or vengeance. And it just, I can't describe how well written it is to be 
the stirring of this hero that had given in to his fate and was bemoaning, my men still, they treat me well, but I know that I'm not the man that I was. And how long will it be before they abandon me and stuff? Right. And it's really great. So those are things like that are what makes the series worth it. It yes. might be that there's, there's some movies that are really crappy except for a specific scene. Maybe the, this, these books or something like that. There's scenes that I've mentioned before. I went and stood in the bookstore and I read the end of one of his books, just standing there because I had to read it again. Same with The End of Tigana by Guy Gabriel Kay. It's so perfect and so well written that it's like, I hardly ever read in the bookstore. I think it's rude. And yet I just needed that day. And it was right in front of me. It's I'm just going to go through these 30 pages and breathe deep of perfect literature, right. that kind of thing. So I, I ran into the Gore books a while back at a bookstore. They had been republished and printed out with similar covers. And it was like 50 of them. I didn't realize there were that many, but I right. agree with you. Chronologically, I his, his might be the longest running fantasy series because he's been writing it since the 60s. So yeah. it's going on 60 years now. Wow. Anyway. So, and yeah. I remember reading it and enjoying it when I was younger. And I picked that one up a decade and a half ago or something. I didn't enjoy it quite as much. And I think some of those other elements stood out to me more and made it a little more unenjoyable you might say like a little creepy that's yeah. the book i don't want people to see me reading because they're going to make big assumptions about me if they know anything about these oh. books be, oh man al's like that god damn it yeah the, the book covers <laughs> oh. definitely were the male equivalent of the harlequin romance books you know the, there the you women go in exactly. the Sweet savage uh, exactly yeah. okay <laughs> but it's funny with because I remember reading the Xanth series, not all of it, because it's another 3,000 books or something like that now. That's right. But I remember reading several of them when I was younger. And then I read one when my kids were here. I'm like, oh, these were funny. You'll love these. And I said, here, read these. And I picked one up to read again. I'm like, yeah, it's not as funny anymore. <laughs> so That's your tastes do change. They really do. Especially, I don't know, maybe amusing to kids is different than amusing to adults. You know what I mean? Whatever might have been like, amusing in terms of embarrassment or oh no i've passed gas at the wrong time you know that i might my, my taste of it's not that i still don't enjoy a good three stooges movie or something like that but american pie is not my favorite kind of comedy right. you know what I, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. that i like wit as compared to only embarrassment and stuff like that oh it so that, yeah that that which that's a whole bunch of episodes as i like go back into the collections and stuff like that because i haven't started cataloging the paperbacks It'll be very interesting to go back and, boy, I have 30 of these. I really liked them and read them, but would I reread them? You know what I mean? There was a series called Blade. At one point, there was all kinds of men's adventure paperbacks. It was the war against the mafia types like Death Merchant and the Executioner and the Destroyer. And there were one called The Smuggler that was really well written and an anti-hero or he's dealing in bad stuff, but he's doing it to help people that it, I remember them having very explicit sex scenes. And it being like, I think I talked about like maybe an executioner or, or James Bond was the first one that as I was reading, I was going, I don't think my mom and dad would let me read it if knew what was in here. You know what I mean? And the, the smuggler absolutely had that kind of thing. And so it's, I don't know, I guess instead of the birds and the bees, I'm going to get this scene in the book. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Need. <laughs> exactly. And I, and everybody else says this, it's, it's, crazy nowadays about what kinds of books are being proposed to be banned and what's wrong with them and so forth. And I read everything. I read all kinds of sex scenes, torture scenes, whatever else it might be. Did I turn into a rapist? Did I turn into a torturer? Of course not. Because the difference between fiction and reality, the difference between good and bad, you don't read that and turn into a robot that has to go kill a horse or something like that. Right. You just what terrible character what why well, it's terrible that they did but look then they got they paid the price Come they got punished the for their transgressions and stuff right. like that and so the incredible weird overreaction to any mention of anything that they don't like and especially like there's any number of things I, I know when i recommend a series to a friend i'm happy that they like it but if they don't it's like your taste is not exactly mine so when we talk about these things that i don't know patrick rothfuss it's like, if you like this kind of thing this is the best kind of thing of that right. type so you really should read it and only occasionally do you get nope didn't that didn't work for me and but they seem to have this thing of any the slightest mention of you name the topic and people go crazy about it. And especially not to be weird, the topics are not like I think maybe murders worse than homosexuality. 
Right. Saying just like that. There, if you're going to run a society, and we already have a system of law that's been in works for 4,000 years, and the kinds of sentences that you get are pretty proportionate to how these things damage society. They damage people. There's no going back from a rape or a murder, those kinds of things. They're terrible. And then people shouldn't treat it as equal. You said a bad word. You made fun of me. It's just not the same. Yes. It's not proportionate and equivalent. And yet there's people that are trying to do that, that yeah. say the, and I don't know, there's the concept of sin, like sinning in mind is not the same as sinning in Indeed, it's the commission of it is different than the right. saying it or thinking of it. It just is. I just <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I just saw an article. I didn't read it. I saw the headline, so it could be clickbaity, but yeah. it was along the lines of there's a town in Texas who ruled certain books or whatever should be banned and pulled from the library. And the yeah. library is defending it using a judge's ruling that that it's you can't force us to pull these books so the town is threatening to close the library down i, I can't what, even wrap my head around it close a library close one of the best things we've ever developed as a society the sharing of knowledge for all to get freely and that's going to be their response right so what you need to do is close the people that would suggest that down never forget that their solution was ban books because they're beyond the pale of who she'd have in any position over others you but, know what I mean? But, I just... but having senators, and I saw this picture, again, maybe it was Photoshop, maybe it was a fake, but I saw a picture of some senator from Texas and his family for their Christmas card were all holding machine guns. That was their Christmas card. See, and That's okay. But yeah. so why, why did they decide that's okay for my kids to see? But I can't say, no, ban that. Oh, you can't tell us to ban that. That's against our First Amendment rights. We have a right to bear arms. We have we can do this. But that book from 1860 is talking about slavery. Yeah, get rid of it. <laughs> because apparently they haven't read the whole Constitution that has freedom of speech and of the press and so forth. And that's the First Amendment. Right. So it's the first one they put in the list before the second one. Right. And they're not meant to be an ordered list. I mean, it's, right. It just is people... Our society well, is rife with people who pick and choose amongst the law, the Bible, whatever reference they want to make. And yes. it's ridiculous. It's like, you, you can't do that. You have to be consistent. <laughs> so if you're going to be getting rid of books that have rapists and racist and slavery and murders and right. cheating by politicians and all, if you want to get rid of those books, make sure you include the Bible. And that's people are fighting that fight. There's all kinds of I love that whole idea of hoist on your own petard. If you're going to put in a law that you think was targeted at what you wanted to go away, and then you find out that indeed it is your behavior that's just as guilty, if not more, your book that's just as guilty, if not more so. It's like then that's what every time they have a freedom of religion display as to why you should have that in your schools, that's when the Satanists step up and say, sure, we'll be happy to have Baphomet right here in the entrance hallway. Yes. And you just passed the law that says we do indeed have to allow for that. So I love the wit of that. It, oh, <laughs> I, um, I like the Freakonomics books that talk about if you look at all kinds of things in society, you can often find the underlying reasons for why they're happening. And one of the things is you don't have to go after the bad guys in a lot of ways, you can just create a situation where they'll stand up and declare themselves, calling a self-weeding garden. You know what I mean? The yeah. weeds will reveal themselves. And every time that you have a situation like that, where it's, hey, here's a picture of book burning. If they just took that picture and identified every face in that and said, these guys can never hold office and never be on a school board and never have influence in this way, how much better society would be? If they took a picture of all the people that have been convicted from January 6th, an insurrection against our government where people died and just made sure that they're out, they're exiled from society, they can't hold office, they can't, et cetera. And we're working on that. Hundreds of them have been convicted, but we're still fighting about that. I think that there's a certain arrogance to evil that they can't help but declare themselves. The way that we're going to get finally rid of this big orange menace that we've had to deal with for the last couple of years is he's not going to be able to shut his mouth. He's going right. to say awful things in a way that finally he's under oath and it'll be perfect perjury because he lives in his own weird world. He can't <laughs> stop himself from betraying 
That's not true. It never has been true. And it's harmfully true. So it crosses the boundaries for all those things that you don't have anywhere sense of the responsibility that goes with your rights. And some of those things are actively criminal. They're fraudulent. They're libelous. They're slanderous, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see what he goes down for because it's not like the two charges that we could get him on. There's hundreds and they're going to continue to find those things where you can't do election interference like he has. You can't pay hush money to people and do things with election funding that is fraudulent. And it's all going to come out and people are going to testify. The truth will be there. And so it's not about Trump. It's anybody who does that. They shouldn't be in office. They shouldn't be the ones proposing laws that let them off the hook. They shouldn't put judges in place that will pardon them. There's such rot. And you can see the line of how that's all been structured so that for a while we became less lawful because they set it up to rot from the core of what we've got going. Clarence Thomas, accepting all of his wonderful vacations, worth more than he makes in a year, I just read. Haven't verified that for myself, but that's not here. Have a deck of cards complimentary at the casino. That's an incredible, valuable thing. And it beggars the imagination to say that didn't have some influence on him as to how he decided as a juror what kinds of things came before him at the Supreme right. Court. I will say, the top, the rock can go. Ugh. I will say, you can see from the boomers to us and uh, how our society has let some of this grow and happen in the politics, especially. And for all, I, I'll be the grumpy old man and shake my head and tell the kids, back in my day and all that. <laughs> but this generation, they don't put up with that shit. They really are making it come out they're not putting up with it and they're really pushing for some of those changes in those areas i'll give them a lot of credit for that i don't think absolutely they're going to be as flamboozled and allow the people in power to do stuff that they shouldn't be doing it's the obvious need for checks and balances for not having autocracy get in place and then start making its own rules it's right in front of us and indeed every generation they have to deal with what's been left behind for us and is it a wonderful handoff or is it like sifting through the wreckage and the fact that how many of them are facing what's our economic situation what's our ecological situation what's our legal if it's gotten worse instead of better over the course of the last generation half generation whatever i absolutely support let's write the ship of state let's write everything that's gone wrong i hate the fact that there's a part of what the bad guys count on is learned helplessness. So that as they gain those little gerrymanderings and those little changes of laws, that after all, people just say, what are you going to do? What you do is throw them out and fix things. If I, it's, I hear this stated multiple times and I haven't seen it done. One of the best things you could do is all those laws that were passed to break taxes, to, to gut the IRS, to change like just an omnibus bill that says, We undo each one of those things. Why are we so much in debt? Because money was given away to places that indeed it didn't create jobs or any of the other things that were promised. So it was an experiment. We canceled the experiment and now it goes back to the previous tax levels and the so many things. It just isn't trying to persuade to the new. It's just saying that didn't work. Cancel it. Claw those dollars back, et cetera. Maybe we'll have some of that happen. It seems that it has to be incremental advance instead of the sweeping terrible change that it was 20 years ago some of the first things that bush did in office were the restructuring and why do we have such vast wealth inequality is directly attributable to that and everything about supply side economics everything about don't worry the wealthy are good guys and they will create more jobs in all of society we will raise all boats there's no evidence of that there's evidence against it and so when are we going to learn you know what I mean? Oh, what we'll do is attack economists. Those numbers aren't right. I, I deny that that's true. Look around you. Look at every statistic. It's not right. one or two things. Oh, it's why do you try to have people going for faith instead of science? Because every time that science shows up, they tell the truth and they say, those aren't the real numbers or dollars or et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So before we get going here, a sad note. Al Jaffe passed away. The man was, what, 102 or something like that. He made it to 102. Al Jaffe is was the guy who did the mad fold-in, and I think it ran for 55 years. Yeah. That's another incredible body of work. And I love those. Growing up, just the fact that he was able to so consistently create something that it wasn't obvious from the looking at it, and that he could not only do the picture, but 
the phrasing of the words that when you folded it over, it gave you the reveal. I, I, that's however he first came up with that and however he maintained it and made it even better over the course of time. I still remember one that was like, here's pollution coming out of factories and you fold it over and it's yeah. a skull. And that, and there's famous ones that were just so poignant. Yeah. And wh while you're laughing, you're also uncomfortably laughing because that's freaking true. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of it, thing. It, it so, was like an editorial cartoon as a puzzle. That's a great way to put it. Exactly. And as he did snappy answers to stupid questions, he did mad things we'd want to see. His art style was like nobody else's. You know what I mean? He really was an amazing contributor. If you're at all a Mad Magazine fan, Al Jaffe's yeah, work, he was absolutely. such a wonder. He was so great. And I don't know. I have all of his paperbacks. I have, it's one of those things that it, it, not only is he prolific, but if you want to give people some of the best of Mad Magazine, you can't go wrong with a little bit of Al Jaffe, a right. little bit of Frank Jacobs, a little bit. People's tastes are different also, but he was so consistently funny and great at lampooning the things that needed to be made fun of. Very good. Yep. So hats off to Al Jaffe. We'll miss him. We've still exactly. got a great body of work, exactly. like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that I think that for a while they were doing album editions of all of Don Martin's work or all of that kind of things. And I think that there might not have been a big one done for Al Jaffe. I hope that posthumously they'll do that. They'll do a nice yeah. big two books in a slipcase type thing. That is the complete, what made him such a, an incredible guy. Yeah. <laughs> so Twit. All cool, right. man. All right. Okay. I need to get running. So Sounds good. We'll talk to John. Hey, we were able next to arrange week. schedules and stuff. Exactly. And we got mind games coming up next week and stuff like that. So that'll yeah. be a big report. Yes. And uh, it was a Later. pleasure, Steve. Take care, sir. Okay. Bye bye. This has been the Relentless Geekery Podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, RelentlessGeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page, Join the Conversation, and go check out our YouTube page, where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week. <laughs>